Hello, and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we discuss an off-forgotten installment in a franchise and see if you should check it out for yourself. I'm one of your hosts, Corey, and it's going to be a very disappointing night for you if you don't stop talking about Jan. And with me, I've got Liam. It's just so humiliating when you love someone who sleeps with your roommate. And Mitch. You don't fuck someone by accident, David. <laughs> it's true. I, I've heard it rarely. Uh, not the first time somebody has told me to stop talking about Jan either. That felt pretty close to home. Mitch! Hey, what's up, man? I'm back, right? You're, wow. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to double check with us. You're here. You're definitely yeah. back. <laughs> now, you're back, which is good. Um, DeGenero also back. I don't know how you feel about that. I mean, I feel like throughout the entire course of this podcast... I've been made the villain uh, against the general. I, everyone seems to think that I hate the general, and I think that's a while fair there are things that I let me, let me finish. While there are things that I hate about the general, I don't hate the general entirely. In fact, the general showed me some pretty cool films. It's also shown me some real stinkers. So that's how I feel about the general. And frankly, I'm I'm happy to see it back. Dang, Mitch took the last week to go to therapy. Yeah, he's learning a lot about himself. What's their rate at your therapist's office? I don't know. I mean, uh, <laughs> I think they like the general. You have to watch one random movie and then they give you a session. That would be, dude, I, I, I could go to therapy in that case, which is, you know, might be welcome if that's all it takes. Another thing that we've been cooking uh, it, it, it might be up by the time you hear this, but, but Mitch and I, while not recording an episode, did get up to something else, which I'm very excited about. Um, look, look at our Instagram in the next couple of days, or it's already out. <laughs> I'm not sure. So yeah, I'm not going to say right, what it is. Right now I'm looking after the editing and it's coming along pretty well, I'd say. We're doing some stuff over there. And then next time we do some stuff over there. We're going to get Liam to also do some stuff over there. And I think that'll be very good. Okay. Yeah. I have no idea what this is. I'm still in my childhood home. Do we have to be naked? Um, Have to be? No. Um, I, I think it's like encouraged, but you don't have to. All right. I'll yeah. do it. I got a few days left. I can work out a bit. Yeah. Yeah. You got time. Just bulk up real quick. <laughs> Um, we're not making a sequel to anything, but it is our specialty to talk about them. And in this case, uh, I feel like we've really kind of hit the peak in theory, like conceptually speaking of what this show is about. I could not think of a more perfect, they made another one ass movie for William Castle to present us with for the the first non-massacre movie of the year than this movie. I totally agree. This is this is the epitome of I think what we what we started the show um thinking we would be covering because Single White Female is a movie that I think everyone at least recognizes the name sort of even regardless of your age. Like we don't do many movies on this podcast that my parents would would recognize the title. I don't of. recognize the name. What? Yeah, I'm not familiar. 
You hadn't heard of the movie at all? No. Like the first one? Yeah. No, I, I, wow. I guess I live under a rock. I was talking to my dad earlier today, and he asked me what movie we did this week, and I told him. And he's like, oh, yeah, that first one's pretty good. <laughs> so it's exactly what Liam is saying. Well, it's a big-time parent core movie, so it, I guess it I it makes sense that Mitch might not have heard about it because, like... Uh, it's like early '90s, and it would have been a movie that people would have talked about at the time. But uh, but I don't I know how like much of has, an enduring classic it is. I think it's had staying power, and the cast is quite recognizable. I'm a little surprised. It does have uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, Mitch. You like her, right? I do, I do, and uh, I got, I'm looking through the cast, and I, I like people involved with this, and. I've I've heard of the director before, and obviously the music's by Howard Shore, who makes a pretty good score. But yeah, no, it's it's been completely off my radar. So so I had no idea what to expect here. That's very interesting because Liam and I watched the first movie together. I heard. What was that? What was that like a year ago? It was Christmas Eve, twenty twenty two. Okay, so like a year ago. Cause it's 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 because it's like 2028 20, now or something. Okay, it's a little sooner than I thought. Relatively recently, was there a specific reason why we went with that? Well, I've been wanting to watch it for a long time. I have my own personal watch list. I have a few different watch lists on my phone of like movies I specifically want to watch with uh, my partner. Movies that my partner specifically wants me to watch movies that i think would be good in a group of these friends um and i have one master list that's just movies i think that i would want to watch uh by myself there's no one necessarily that jumps out as i need to watch this with someone um and single white female was like the first movie i put on that list for some reason when i started it five years ago um and I don't end up watching a whole lot of movies on this list because a lot of it is like movies that I come across that I think, oh, that that sounds interesting. I, I write it down, but then it's not a movie that has so much of a draw that I feel like, oh, I need to watch this next time I watch a movie. So Single White Female slipped into those cracks. And then I think you and I just didn't have anything to do on Christmas Eve because we're losers. Um <laughs> Brianna was out of the house doing like some house sitting for her work, so I was alone. Um, and we we decided we would watch a movie together remotely. Brianna joined us remotely, and we just checked out what was on Netflix, and this was on there. And I said, "Hey, this is a movie I've been wanting to watch," and you said, "Sure," and that was that. And history was made. And I also think it's fair to say that we liked it. Yes. Yeah. In fact, I, I I remember being like pretty pleasantly surprised about the whole thing. Yeah, there are a lot of those uh, uh, sort of like obsession movies where two people become kind of friends and then one person gets too into the relationship and bad stuff starts happening. And I'm, I'm kind of su- a sucker for those stories, but I think I've seen more bad movies that follow that formula right. than good movies. But I think this is... This is one of the good ones. I don't think it's one of the best ones. I think it, it. Uh, well, I, I, sh- I guess it, it is one of the best. I don't think it is the best. It, it sort of ends up falling into some of those cliched trappings. Um, but it is very entertaining. Good performances. Uh, 
really creepy in the manipulation that it portrays i i had a good time watching it yeah me too and um mitch as you'll notice um there is a good number of similarities between the two movies though i am very curious to figure out how those similarities play without the baseline of the first movie so you're saying i'm gonna get the first movie spoiled um hmm that's a good question no not no well yeah i don't think not so. not exactly no like they're similar um they do like flip elements of it around a little bit it's not a one-to-one thing but it's close um but it's not it, no it's not one-to-one and I think the single white female story is so is something that's been told so many times, whether it's movies that were inspired by single white female or some stuff before single white female, like Fatal Attraction. Um, it's a story that I'm sure you can you can sort of guess where it goes. And so I, d- I don't think that this could spoil you any more than hearing the premise of single white female could spoil you like you would hear that and you'd be like oh i think i know where this goes and you're probably right but the journey is sort of in the execution i would consider this uh certainly not a sequel to single white female i would i would call it like a a remake uh uh, one of those loose remakes or you know even just a ripoff that that happens to have the same title you know because there are movies that are this exact same thing and they just don't have the single white female title so I don't think right. the the branding really means anything here. Um, it's just this is an obsession uh, horror movie, and that's it. That's it. That's yeah. about it. As single white female is. Yeah. With that all sorted, I'll I'll set up single white female to the psycho. Um, one of the funnier titles I I personally think that we've ever had on the show. Um, I I think so the good. psycho is is an incredible subtitle for a movie to have. Um, just just no subtlety at all hey that's like friday the 13th part 7 the killer right like, yeah. yep I, I imagine that's what it's about yeah the texas chainsaw massacre the mass murder with a chainsaw <laughs> yeah like it's very like blonde um speaking of fun names uh this movie is directed by keith samples which i'm a big fan of that guy's name uh interesting credit mix here some of these i have included specifically to pique mitch's interest um directing wise though uh a couple movies and tv shows including an episode of freddy's nightmares an episode of reba uh, a movie called gabby duran and the unsittables from like 2019 didn't even look into what that was so i have no idea um dr bob's house and then you're like okay that sounds fairly unremarkable but then you look at his producer credits and you're like oh he pr- he was a producer on election that's kind of interesting oh i love that movie and then you go at his executive producer credits and he was an executive producer on hard eight okay right on i love hard eight i know and i'm just like what a weird his director fair kind of a a crapshoot quite frankly uh producer wise though some some very interesting polls 
Um, fewer interesting polls available for the writing team. Uh, this movie has three writers. Uh, it may surprise you to learn. Um, including Glenn Hobart. This is his only credit. Uh, he wrote this with Andy Hurst, uh, who wrote Wild Things 2, Wild Things 3, Vampires of the Turning, and You're Dead. And and then Ross Helford also worked on this movie. As a writer, he wrote Wild Things 2, Wild Things 3, Sniper 3, and Sniper Reloaded. So if you needed a 90s erotic thriller sequel, these were your guys. I guess they were busy when uh, Poison Ivy 2 Lily was made, hey? Oh, my God. And and as you guys, did I say on the show that I've now seen Poison Ivy, the new seduction as well? Yes, you did. Okay. um, So I'm really having a moment here with these right now, for better or worse, because that was fairly recent. That was like a couple weeks ago. And Wild Things 2 is is on our list, so... um, Has to be. We might not be out of the weeds yet. There's also uh, Wild Things 4. It goes all the wow. way to four. Yeah. Uh, I think Wild Things 4 is like the 2010s even, which is just insane to think about. Because isn't Wild Things from like 1996? Yeah, it's a Nev Campbell movie. Um, This movie is edited by Peter Devaney Flanagan, which is awesome. Uh, He did some editing work. He was not the editor, but he's got editing related credits on scream and Wes Craven's new nightmare. Um, are you guys familiar with the movie scary or die? No, I've heard of it, but I've not seen it. Uh, scary or die is an anthology horror movie that includes a sequence where Corbin blue from high school musical plays a guy who is like werewolf turning into a clown monster. Oh, dude, I've seen this poster yeah. um, on, like, Prime Video. Yeah, absolutely. Um, cool. I'd watch that. Also, uh, Dracula 2001, The Prophecy 3, The Ascent, and Children of the Corn 5, which is a classic in our credits. This is nice. It's not often we, we come across a Children of the Corn 5 alum. Normally, it's, like, 3, 4. I think 3 is going to come up in a, in a little bit, actually, as well today. Uh, but the cinematography, this credit taught me something odd about the world. Uh, this movie is shot by a guy named Thomas M. Harding. He is two credits from the late 2010s that, that caused me alarm. They are called, in and they came out in this order, which is a confusing enough order on its own. Harry and Meghan, A Royal Romance, and Harry and Meghan Becoming Royal. These are not documentaries. These are like narrative fiction films based on Harry and Meghan with like actors playing everybody. I yeah. find that extremely weird. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is troubling. Normally when they do stuff like that, there'll be like a murder involved. Right, but they'll, it was like twist it. it was like ongoing. Like their lives are just continuing. And they were yeah. just like making movies about him. Well, I guess you know it's like a it's like a biopic about someone still alive. That happens sometimes. A I guess. really up to date biopic. 
within three years. Um, also, uh, something called the J Team, which I googled, and it's related to JoJo Siwa. So I was like, oh, okay. Um, also, uh, Legends of the Hidden Temple got a movie made by Nickelodeon in 2016, which is weird because that was a television game show. Yeah, I remember <laughs> that movie coming out. That sounds like an interesting premise. I would watch that for sure. Because there was lore in that show. Yeah, know? it's like Jungle Run-ish. Yeah, Jungle Run was was my my uh, my fighter. Yeah, we've definitely talked about that on this show before. <laughs> if a Jungle Run movie came out, I would, oh my god, I would pop off. But uh, I honestly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to see it dramatized. Uh, um, just put like a the royal feature... family style. I I would just want a feature length episode. That's what I was gonna say. Just put a feature length episode of Jungle Run in theaters and like <laughs> ten times the budget. Yes, and I'm in. Um, also, uh, Grumpy Cat's Worst Christmas Ever and A Fairly Odd Summer. So this guy's getting up to all kinds of stuff. Huh. Yeah. Uh, Stephen M. Stern is the musician that we will be discussing. Wild Things 3. Wild Things Foursome. Uh, Indiscreet Behavior 3. Bloody Murder 2, Closing Camp, and Debs, which I believe we have also talked about on this show before. And we've definitely talked about it on MK Podquest recently. For the cast, we've got Kristen Miller as Holly. Um, This movie title, I recognized it and I didn't know why, and I think Liam might know, so I'm going to pose it to Liam. Uh, Cherry Falls. Yes, I, I really like that movie. Yeah, well, she's in that. It, it's like a horror movie kind of thing. In my head, I was like conflating it with Ginger Snaps. Do I have that even close? Uh, it's around the same time. Uh, and they're both um, like women-led uh, horror movies. But Ginger Snaps is a werewolf movie and Cheery Falls is like a slasher movie. Okay, so yeah, those those are pretty close. I wasn't exactly right, but... When am I on this podcast most of the time, to be honest? Um, she was also on Team America World Police and a show called She Spies. Um, not to be confused with Totally Spies, I guess. Um, though I do think it was probably trying to do a similar kind of spoof. Um, if I remember right, her character's name or the name of a character played by an actor that was also in this movie was like D.D. Cummings. Just to give you a sense of whatever the fuck that show was going for. Um, so, who knows. Um, Allison Lang plays Tess. She was in Alone in the Dark 2. And also, I have written down the third colon blood war. And I'm starting to wonder if I made a typo because that doesn't make any sense. No, it's the thirst blood war. That oh, makes a okay. lot more sense. I was gonna say um, that's the most egregious <laughs> subtitle before the the, the main title blood we've war ever the heard. Third. Like that that would make up more sense. That would be all right. Dude, yeah, the idea of putting like <laughs> part six, Friday the thirteenth, like doing it that way. <laughs> With a completely nondescript subtitle. Two colon scream. <laughs> honestly i kind of wish they had done that but uh no dice 
Um, I get to talk about Brooke Burns. Uh, this is very exciting for me. Me uh, too. What? Why? Why for you? I'll tell you. You go. So she plays Jan. She was on Baywatch. Mm-hmm. Is that why? No. That's I not like why. Baywatch, though. She was in Titanic 2. Is that why? No, but that's Which should be on our general if it's not. We it gotta is. watch yeah, that. Brianna wants to do that one specifically, so we'll we'll bring so, her on. Wait, at some well point. Liam, the only stuff that I wrote down left was stuff that I knew. So why do you have why is she here for you? Because she hosted my favorite game show as a ch- when I was a kid, Dog Eat Dog. Whoa, 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 whoa. She you remember did Dog Eat Dog? Oh she yeah. She did? Dude, oh, yeah. I watched the shit. Out of do- hold on, hold on, stop the podcast. Everybody stop. You, I Corey, to Google you don't dog. have to look it up. I am telling you with 110% confidence. When did I say I didn't believe you? I just want to see it for myself. She looks exactly the same. Well, she has the blonde hair. She How didn't I the... put this together? I'm surprised you didn't if you're also Whoa. a dog-eat-dog fan. Dude, I watched so much dog-eat-dog. I didn't even notice this on the IMDb. What the fuck? It's not often that I get to surprise you with a credit, given that you look no. up all the credits. This is great. IMDb says she only did six episodes. That can't be right. No, no, no. Wikipedia says she did 26. Yeah, that's not, the whole, not enough that's the episodes. whole run of the show. Yeah, not enough. Well, that's, that's the whole show. No, I know. Not enough. Um, Holy shit. Wow. I'm like absolutely gobsmacked, dude. That's insane. How didn't I know? Doggy Dog was such a wicked show because it Can was like sort of Dog it was sort of an adult game show. You know, like they would have the nude, they would have like strip games. Um, it was like and there was always like a, a goth person on the <laughs> in, in the cast of contestants every episode, and so like it was sort of this alternative show. But then there was also trivia and just like regular uh, feats of agility that, like as a kid, I could get behind. But I was also sort of fascinated by the blurred out naked women. It was a very cool game show. Yeah. So the game show I would describe it as being like strip game extreme sports like health goth spike tv those are Mm -hmm. the four things i would say to describe it um a lot of the challenges involved like really big pools and everything was on like a very dark set, and then like the pool would be like lit from the interior. Oh yeah, it had such a mood of it. to it, hey? Yeah, it was like it was like it had vibes. Like Fear Factor could never, and I liked Fear Factor, but Fear Factor w- would oh, go to God. different places. It would be outside. There would be sunshine, so it it felt Fear Factor felt more accessible. Whereas Doggy Dog, because it took place in this arena that is exactly as you described, dimly lit, but then a brightly lit pool, it felt a bit more niche, which made it more endearing to me. You know, I was just thinking about Doggy Dog a few days ago before I watched this this movie. Um, there was a dude on one episode of Doggy Dog, because every episode had a different uh, panel of contestants. Um, and on one episode, there was a dude named Marty. He he wore a uh, like a camo T-shirt and had short blonde hair, as I recall correctly, if I recall correctly. And Marty was my childhood idol. I just thought this dude was so cool 
and he <laughs> absolutely killed the competition. But he was he also seemed like very humble and like he was when I was a six year old child, Marty was who I looked up to more than perhaps anyone in my life. And I was just thinking about that the other day. That's beautiful. I wanted to say that. So I feel like I need to contextualize why I was so caught off guard by this revelation. Not just my existing Spike TV-fueled dog-eat-dog fandom, though that is a significant element. The reason I'm so surprised by this is because Neil and I, on MK Podquest, have talked about Brooke Burns a lot. Because, not only, but, importantly, she was on an episode of Mortal Kombat Conquest. Uh, She is in an episode where this character comes to town and brings with it a group that is essentially doing an unsanctioned underground fight club. And while that's happening, our heroes have this girl show up, played by Brooke Burns, who is getting trained by Kung Lao... And, like, they're getting kind of, like, hot and bothered with each other a little bit. And his friends are like, hey, isn't she a little young for you, pal? And she really wants to go to this, like, discreet underground fight club and he won't let her go. So she goes anyway. And uh, if you can believe it or not, bad things happen and, the, and Brooke Burns dies in that episode. Uh, and it teaches everybody a lesson about not trusting under, underground fight clubs, I guess. But, so, we watched that tv show multiple times and we're like great we then discovered that there's a movie with a bunch of actors from that show in it that movie we recently did an episode about because neil said it was like one of the worst things on earth and we'd probably not finish it and it just seemed horrible and i said bet okay we should watch it um if it's as bad as as you say it might be uh that movie is called death to the supermodels um it also stars Jamie Presley. That's like the name you would probably know. Um, like my name is Earl, Jamie Presley. And um, we did a podcast about that movie. And it is truly one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Just undeniably. And uh, Brooke Burns is one of the like lead characters of that whole movie. Is that why you guys, that's why you guys watched it? Just the the because of the cast in common we watched it because yeah if i remember right there was four different actors with overlap on mortal kombat conquest and the full cast is maybe seven people or eight people so there was a lot of overlap like you, you most know how of I like the those cast small casts Corey. um yeah this movie though less successful than you might think also, as we just talked about, that unique brand of like early 2000s, like definitely conceptually problematic in a lot of its bits and stuff. Uh, and in a movie that's like almost entirely bit fueled, that's not great. Um, neither is the rest of it. It's all very bad. But uh, anyway, just a lot, a lot of Brooke Burns in my life, it turns out. Who knew? Yeah, um, she's been a fixture in my life too. I mean, I love Doggy Dog so much that like I've dude. looked her up many times throughout my life just to see what she's up to. Um, I, and I get excited whenever I see her. Like she hosted a game show called The Chase in the early 2010s. Um, I watched that a lot with my dad, and I was stoked to see her still hosting a game show ten years later. She also I can't hosted... believe you remembered Brooke Burns so well. I didn't mean to interrupt, but it's like the one thing I forgot about Doggy Dog was probably Brooke Burns. <laughs> oh evidently. yeah, I, I could never, I could never. Um, 
and she was all she had a bit part in the movie Shallow Hal starring Jack Black, which is a movie that I would watch as a kid. And she shows up for like just a tiny, tiny scene, a minute in a taxi. And whenever that scene played, I would be like, oh, that's the chick from Doggy Dog. That's so cool that she's acting and following her dreams. Um, Mitch, she hosted a show called watched... Hole in the Wall. She was just she's an amazing, an amazing. No, character. I didn't. I'm I'm completely left out of this conversation. I have yeah. Nothing I to I, I felt compelled that I needed to check in because I'm like Mitch hasn't said anything. I don't know if you watched Doggy Dog. I'm sorry, I Mitch. No. Were you a game show guy, Mitch? Not really. Were you a Spike TV mm. guy? I th- I watched Deadliest Warrior like everyone else, <laughs> but uh, not really. Hell yeah, brother. What about Pros versus Joes? Uh, I, yeah, I definitely want, caught a couple episodes of that, but I wasn't religious about it. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Why did we, like, what the fuck was the deal with Spike TV, man? We were all on that. All of us were watching Spike TV. <laughs> I feel like it was just like the precursor to just whatever toxic material that young men watch nowadays. Oh, it's got to be way worse. Like, whatever Instagram reels they're getting instead of Spike TV has to be worse. <laughs> Um, do you guys remember the bumper on Spike TV that was just like motorcycles revving and like poker chips and like an oiled up babe and like two guys doing MMA on each other? And it was like, it was just the Spike TV logo bumper. That was their vibe. But it was like really horny and violent and and there was guns in it as well. I want to see if I can find a link to that really fast. I didn't mean to sidebar us this hard. On the Brooke Burns Dog Eat Dog Spike TV talk. This was my plan the whole time. Spike TV commercial. Yeah, instantly found it. Do you guys have the t- the ability to watch this right now? Can we get live reaction? Yeah, if you would like it. I would like that. Yeah, I think. You, can, you can link it. It's only 30 seconds. And I'm pulling it up. All right, I'm going. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I know this. I know this so well. Oh, this goes so hard. It's it so sexy. So hard. It, oh, fuck, yeah, I remember this. This seems like it would be, like, in a movie, a comedy yeah. movie that, like, makes fun of dudes. But it was just real, and we all watched it all the time, and we thought it was sick. Oh, my yeah, this God. Is, this is Spike TV, essentially. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. You you watch that and that gives you a perfect idea of the channel. Yeah, so I guess dude, it does its that's job. That's so sick, dude. Fucking shout out to Spike TV. Ain't no problem with that. Spike TV never did anything <laughs> wrong. <laughs> never gave anyone terrible platform. Never once. Daryl Strawberry is a normal guy, and MXC definitely didn't have any problems with it. Oh, dude, MXC. Me and my dad were watching MXC like a month ago. <laughs> That's so sick. Bring me back to 4 a.m. in 2006, my happy place. <laughs> Dude, yeah, that was great. Anyway, um, I guess Todd Babcock is also in this movie as David. Do you guys remember a couple weeks ago I, I mentioned that there was an actor who was in a series of TV movies called McBride? Yeah. He was in one of those. And I guess, like, are these just going to become, like, a fixture of these credits now? Like, there's so many that I wasn't even writing the subtitles down. There's, like, a billion, like mcbride movies um he was also in chicken soup for the soul which was a tv show presumably based on the book uh and also a movie called a day without a mexican 
I don't know what the deal with that is. Uh, <laughs> uh, Francois. Ooh, Francois Jrodet plays Leonard. He was in Godzilla, uh, the Roland Emmerich Godzilla, and also Wall Street. Uh, Tracy McCall plays Lacey. Uh, Riff Hutton plays the cop, Detective Roush. Um, interestingly, he has a lot of additional crew credits working in voices in ADR, um, which is kind of cool. He's also got credits on Children of the Corn 3, Urban Harvest. As I said, it would come up again. Um, Bigfoot, The Unforgettable Encounter. Tonka Construction 2, the video game. Hell yeah. And uh, Hotel Transylvania 3. And then we've got just Kaimi as Doctor. That's the whole credit. Uh, James Maddio as Sam. He was in the Basketball Diaries. And Gary Riotto as Wade. Um, just to pick up the pace here a little bit, because we did have a significant Spike TV-related sidebar. Single white female to the psycho. Um, yeah, no, I'll do the plot first. And then before I ask what you all thought, I have a, a important question to ask about if we all saw the same version of the movie. And then I'll get into, like, full takes. Does that work for everybody? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Liam already knows why. <laughs> but, uh... Oh. So, this movie is about two girl bosses who are best friends that live together. And they work at a PR agency that is trying to land a bunch of big restaurant related accounts and they do and fashion related accounts and they do a lot of like quipping and like messing with each other but they're like fun and frisky and live together and then when it comes to getting the new hot guys restaurant deal uh we discover some additional tension in this friend group because it, one of them is dating that guy and then in the competition to get the big promotion at work one of them cheats with that guy in their own apartment to land the deal to do the PR for his business, which causes a significant rift in the friendship at the core of the movie. So we have Holly who moves out of that apartment and goes around looking for other options and finds a place at a decent price uh, with somebody who just seems like they want to help her get back on her feet. Uh, she's just a good old unassuming nurse who has a nice rent controlled apartment in New York city um, that her grandma used to live in, so it's surrounded by old people, and everything seems like they're just going to start a nice, beautiful life together and have a shopping montage. But then, um, out of the blue, Tess, her roommate, uh, dyes her hair to match Holly's red hair, which she finds a little off-putting. She starts being really snoopy into her private life. She starts getting kind of touchy, touchy-feely in ways that we're not asked for. And uh, when Holly presents some opportunities to let her into her life a bit more, Tess kind of overreacts to them. And as this all goes on, she starts sort of patching up the friendships that she had and relationships that she had with the people from the PR firm at the beginning of the movie. Tess has had it boiled into her brain that those people have like irrevocably wronged her. And because of this like ruthless obsession that she's now developed goes on like a, a sort of killing rampage to, to ensure that those people can never wrong her again. 
and also somewhere along the way she goes to like the least erotic sex club you've ever seen in your life and then at the end uh everyone's uh she dies is the plot of the movie um (laughs) (laughs) kind of accelerated that one a bit but well i mean sure but like i already said that she kills all of her tries to kill all of her friends well she tries so she tries to seduce the boyfriend and tries to kill the boyfriend and it doesn't work they think it works but it didn't work so then holly like gets home and discovers that she's trying to like kill all of her friends and is like hey i don't want you to kill all my friends and they get into a fight and then uh tess tries to like mimic the suicide death that holly's mother had using her body in a bathtub and it's this whole thing it doesn't work um have i was that better i think you're doing fine okay great that's the gist of it. We'll get there. But I have a really important question because I feel I genuinely feel like this will influence like how you watch the movie will be informed by this. Um. Oh, this is a fun way to do this. In the group chat that we have, can you both write a message describing the title card? Just a message describing the title card? Yeah, that'd be great. I'll explain why once I have the, the details. I'm waiting for Liam. No, you, you go guys first, can, bro. Do you want to hit send at the same time? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, three, two, one. <laughs> what the fuck are you guys talking about? So wait, this is... Mitch, what does yours mean? <laughs> I don't actually like mine. What is? What are you talking... I asked a question. It has an answer. I don't know if I understood the question. What does the title card of the movie look like? So, <laughs> Liam... You said there wasn't one. Did you go double check and there just definitely wasn't one? I I wouldn't so certainly say definitely, but I've I I'm here looking back at my fi- oh oh you know what I just scrolled past it. It is here. Let me see. It is in the movie. It's right at the beginning. Yes. So that's insane. It's twenty seconds in. Wow. Whoa. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. know how I missed it. It's on screen for about three, four seconds. I was watching oh, wow. So Mitch, this is important because if you haven't seen this, I need to send it to you. Did the movie have me. a title card? I don't know if it did. It What I'm, the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Mitch, Mitch also just must have not thought about it too because there's no way this movie has any alternate cuts without the title card. Mitch and, and I just both roommate, didn't notice it. A roommate it. with killer instincts? No. What what are you talking? Do you know what a title card is? Okay, whatever. I think I'm, yeah, I think that might be the issue. In the group chat, I'm going to send a photo. Was this in the movie? <laughs> I'm sure it was because this I think is 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 like the Rosetta Stone of of this movie. That is the title card of the movie. Man, that looks like shit. Yeah, dude. Do you remember seeing that or not? No, I definitely didn't see that. How did Mitch and I are terrible at watching movies? Okay, so I'm gonna describe what the title card of this movie looks like, and also for the record. The title card is the part of the movie where it says the title. I don't know what else you could think it means. <laughs> like, um, So the title of this movie appears, as Liam said, almost instantly. And it is... <laughs> it looks like it was made in Microsoft Paint. Like, we'll post this. Like, people need to see it. Um, it's an exterior shot of a house. 
and over top of it is a white square with a lowercase Sarah font that says in all lowercase letters, single white female, and a red curly two is overlaid over that text. And then under that, there is a slightly off-white rectangle that has in like the kind of font that a live, laugh, love sign might be made in. Yes. The psycho separately in a separate rectangle under that. And the reason I'm being such a diva about this title card is because I truly think it is the worst looking title card we've ever seen by a mile. I totally agree with you. And that is including Silent Night, Bloody Night 2 Revival, which looked like shit. But this looks way worse. And it comes out of nowhere and it just vanishes. And the reason I'm being so particular here is it sets such a weird tone. The movie starting with this is so jarring. I uh, I've no clue how how I missed it. I didn't even have food with me or anything. I guess I was literally like maybe shifting in my seat. I looked away from the screen for three seconds and I missed it. But um, the jarring tone that this movie has was established for me a minute later when we're coming out of uh, the scene where a a girl is calling out mommy and finds a woman oh in a God. bathtub <laughs> filled with blood and cut wrists. Yeah. And there's, you know, dramatic, scary music playing because it's a dramatic moment, of course. And then immediately it cuts to shots of, like, city life. It and basically cuts an R&B to sex song in the play. city. Like- yeah. So that 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 was that was my version of the title card. Um, but I am really bummed I, I missed seeing this title card because this is as incredible as Corey is, is saying it is. I, I don't know if my jaw has ever dropped faster watching a movie on this podcast. Like it was instant and like it was uh it was a involuntary reaction. Like my jaw just fucking slammed into the floor at terminal velocity. Like I could not believe it. Dude. And then the blood on her wrist doesn't even really look like blood in that bathtub, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Now that we've set the tone a little bit, or at least the tone that I had and you guys discovered later. Um, well, Mitch is the outsider here, so I kind of want to start there. Because you came into this with no like baseline of what the original movie is like. So I am extremely curious about how this played. I think it would be really easy to dismiss this movie um there's many reasons that you could and that would be the easy route um but i think that you'd be doing yourself a disservice because there's actually a lot of things going on here that i really like albeit not really executed in the way i would do it if i had my choice but it's clear that this is like a lower budget affair and they're they're operating within the confines of what they have and i found parts of it to be really engaging um I think that the pros ultimately outweigh the cons here. I mean, some of the cons, again, you find yourself at that classic TMAO impasse. Is it bad or is it 2005? And um, I think this film is like aggressively mid-2000s and a lot of its design decisions that don't always 
land with me. Like I think I find a lot of it, the the dialogue, the writing, the soundscape to be really cheesy. But on one hand, it's, it, it does all that. But then it, it also has all these things going on that almost read like a Harold Pinter play uh, and like the confluence or imbalance of, of, of power uh, between two people and miscommunication and, and their expectations. So all these these kinds of themes at the center of their relationship that's really good. I think everyone, Liam said earlier that everyone's seen a movie like this or kind of can draw on a movie like this that they've seen. And um, while it is a, kind of like a tired idea of like, you know, the psycho roommate, um, there are things that, that work really well that I find are like dramatically fun. I think you could do way worse than this movie. I'm not like head over heels about it but i think there's definitely an interesting discussion to be had and i i don't want to to completely discount this film um even though there's some things that i don't like about it so um about two minutes ago i said that my jaw had never dropped faster on they made another one than seeing that title card we've got a pretty quick rival for that because <laughs> i am in shock <laughs> We thought I'd hate this film? I thought that you would love this film. Huh? What? Mitch, are you fucking insane? Well, you thought I would love it or both of us? Me? Who are you insulting? I thought that you would both like this movie, yeah. What are you talking about, dude? Are you nuts? You You think this movie sucks? Yeah! Yeah! Are you kidding me? (laughs) Bro, I had a good time with this film. Bro! I I had an all I had an all right time with it. I had an okay time, time like, but it's I, I didn't have a, I didn't have a, I didn't have a great time. I like whoa whoa whoa. Like let me let me back up a bit because maybe you I sounded to too. Defend it right out of the gate. I do want to defend this movie because I feel like this movie is like that's fucking if you look crazy. At, if you look at how it's rated, it's it's got like a pretty much failing grades across the board, and yeah. I don't think that that's uh, you think this fair. movie is a success. I think it's a pass. <laughs> hold on what does that mean it's is it a, is it a success or not i don't think it's a smashing success but i that think it does some things successfully no, I, 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 think, I see what you i see what you mean i tried I think to get within you the with bones uh, of this narrative there there are some things that are that are interesting that i yeah, if that's that I would true, like you to should, see you done should differently see single white female one then okay i probably should yeah, dude, I guarantee it because but it will, e- but it will even make if you, you realize that you sound fucking crazy right but now. But like, I don't think this is like a Texas Chainsaw Next Gen situation where um, you can think something is, is good and then realize it's been done better before and then be won over simply because Texas Chainsaw is, is a, such a unique idea that even if you see it executed in the next gen, it's, it's, it seems unique. Whereas this, I don't, I, I don't think that s- seeing single white female will really change Mitch's mind at all because I'm certain Mitch has seen movies of this type that he thinks are better. So if oh, you absolutely. think that this version is already good, then I think that that's where you're going to stay. Like, I would rather watch, like, again, I said that it reminded me of, like, a Harold Pinter movie. And it, it, and I would rather watch The Servant or I would rather watch The Accident or, uh, you know, just The, the Caretaker. So many uh, like, of, his, of his plays or films that are that are better. But I, I think that, like, there is, a, like, a, a spark in there that I think, almost like scratches the same itch albeit that this itch is kind of one that you might be ashamed to scratch and um is uh 
like not as like well produced um but there there's things that that I enjoyed enough about this movie that I'm going to I'm going to give it a passing grade. I think that that's like a stinker in a lot of different ways, but I don't know, I was pleasantly surprised by this film. I've there's been times watching TMAO where I have sat through a film and had a way worse time than I had with this one. Yeah, but you know, badness isn't purely dictated by agony. In fact, I think one of this movie's <laughs> I think one of this movie's greatest sins is how fucking boring it is. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot that you could cut out of this movie. That's for sure. It's only um, ninety minutes. That's not a good sign. There's a lot you listen, could I'm cut. Not, out. Yeah, you could cut it into like thirty minutes. I've got to say that, like, I'm mostly amazed, Mitch, that you're saying that there are things in it that you think it it does well and that you would you would go to go to bat for it for because i'm not i'm not against having a good time with this movie i did i did have a good time with this movie um but and and i've certainly had worse times with movies on this podcast but i can make a better case for a movie being good that i had a worse time with like um Hell, the the vanishing or like uh, take a page out of your book, like Avatar, Way of Water. Much easier to make an argument that those movies are good, even though I like them less. And um, not not in the case of Avatar, I like that one more. But um, but this movie, I think, even though like we all had an okay time with it, I I don't know if would I'm be at I would be at a loss to to say like things that i think it does well so that's i'm this very is a low curious grade, to hear about those a from you grade pass from me i'm not saying that it's that it's great but i had and i i don't think it's like a good movie by any means but i think that i had more yeah i had more fun watching this movie than i have i've had a lot of other ones i enjoyed myself with it and i think i, I think like i think you're glossing over the fact that like and I don't, you know, Liam, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't want to speak for both of us, but I think the point that we're making is like that. It's, it's wild that that's your take. We're not insisting that you think this is a masterpiece, but like, even just saying that feels kind of nuts. <laughs> like a little bit. I, I truly okay, well. think I am prepared to say this is like the least expected, most wild take you've ever had. I don't know if that's true. Is I completely is that think that that's true. Did you that see crazy? the title card? Know. Do I have to show you the title card again? Did you see that? Did you see that? Yeah, I mean, like, it's it is bargain bin like shit. It's made for TV shit. I think the soundscape is like corny as fuck. I think the performances are corny as fuck. I think the writing is corny as fuck. I think the direction and like the costume design is corny as fuck. I think like the logical jumps that the film expects its audience to make about the, the characters so, because so, of some so of the expedition so, is ridiculous. So what was good? I, I think part of like part of the fact that it is kind of like cheesy and bad. It's good that it's bad. My, the argument you're making is that it's good that it's bad. Yes, yes, like I like I was like cackling during that like BDSM choking scene in the film. I thought that was hilarious. Um Yeah, like I I think this film is a hoot. Right, but now you're saying a different thing I feel like than what you said before. Yeah, well, I think there's parts of this film that are at least a hoot. Like um it's a bad movie, but like hey, it, something about it worked. 
All right. Well, we'll we can it, get it more into perfect... it as we go. If if you're if you're <laughs> if the way you feel is that it's it's quite bad, but you had fun with it. It's so bad, it's good. That makes more sense to me. But that's not I, what you I, said maybe when I'm, we started. Yeah, maybe I misunderstood. What it sounded like you were saying, just so we're clear, is that like this movie had a good amount of redeeming qualities, and you were here to defend it. Well, that's true. That's that's kind of how I did. I what did go the fuck? I said, I said, you know, there's, there's. <laughs> it would be easy to just say fuck this movie. Um, yeah. Okay. Know, that would be it. Would be the easy route to just to just throw this movie aside and say like fuck it completely. And I I I don't think that's fair. Right, but see, you see how you're muddling your message here a little bit, though, right? I think it can so be our- both. So are you just no, not throwing can't. it aside completely because you're saying it's so bad, it's it's fun, or are you not throwing it aside completely because you think there's good things here? Both. I th- I think there are things about it that are so what bad are the that it's good fun, things? But, but uh, right, but the, if they're the, good because they're bad, then they're then that's what you mean. Like you're not being clear. <laughs> this is so important. This is life and death, dude. This is the most important <laughs> thing that's ever that. happened. <laughs> oh boy, um, I I do think that that the film on on like one level does like this interpersonal drama that that gradually gains power and momentum. Like there are aspects with how it navigates the relationships that I think it does really well, or that reminds me of things that do it better. But I, like I don't know. Uh, you like you I, just I, didn't even you didn't I'm... even complete a thought trying to say why this movie was good just now. <laughs> I feel bad. I don't. I don't want to put all the pressure on Mitch and rake him over the coals. I'm, I'm not, just and yet I'm not trying to, but it's just like I'm trying to understand what your take is, and I don't still. Maybe I'm still figuring out my take, but. <sighs> Well, you said you said uh, when you in in your initial thoughts that there was like th- some thematic stuff that that you liked. Is yes, that yes, and I said also that I think like the the pros of this movie outweigh the cons of the movie. Right, and I but think what that are the true. pros? Yeah. What are they? Yeah, do you do you still stand by that statement? <laughs> yes. Okay, so yeah, let's hear I it. Think, I think that it, I like that it is like a, a a very almost like mechanical kind of thriller in the way that it sets itself up and in the way that it follows like the beats of it of its plot um and it is a film that i think is concerned with with um like slights and like surface details and i think like a harold pinter play where like where uh like the imbalance of power or at least how the audience perceives like the imbalance of power is is based along like you know dialogue and actions that that might be presented on the surface but then the reality of of the way things are can be quite a different thing and there's still room for like i I don't know like like forgiveness with with it within all these other things that are working around so i think that the film um subverts some expectations of the characters it makes it makes people seem as though the grudges that they're holding are worse than the imbalance of power is worse than it actually is and um the film I think moves in some directions that aren't totally expected, uh, even though a lot of the film does feel derivative. Okay. The cons. Um, there's a lot of cons. So that was the whole pros. That was all the pros. I'm just asking questions. 
I yes, I I guess those are those are my pros. I just I, and I that, like this. That outweighs all of the cons. For I'm me, a, I'm just for asking. Me, I'm think, not judging you. I'm think, just asking. Yeah. I think also just like the fact that I that I that I had fun with it. I don't know. Fuck, <laughs> break me over the coals. Okay, it. well, uh, how about this? Why don't Corey and I will talk a bit about what we thought of the movie. Uh, we'll, we'll try this approach, and then you know, you respond. Tell us if you feel the same way, or um, you see where that takes us. Okay. My take on this movie. Um, <laughs> Well, okay, so I had I had fun with it. I think this is um, one of those stories that is so easy to latch onto and follow along with, and sort of just like have a good old junk food eaten time with it. You uh, you realize pretty early on that someone is going to turn on someone else, and there's some manipulation and secrets being kept. And um, I think that's I think that's a fun story, and I think that. This execution of it feels like it is written and directed by someone who who has no clue what makes a movie good, what makes a story good. <laughs> and so I think that that ends up making for a fun watch. There are plenty of moments here where it's just ba- baffling to to try to figure out why they constructed a scene the way that they did um <laughs> just a couple examples so i'm not speaking uh totally vaguely and then and then i'll go to cory uh I'll, I'll mention two examples one is when our our main character um holly. What, what was her name holly holly parker when holly is like snooping around in tess's room sh- shortly after moving in with her and she finds this locket that says friends forever and then she goes to put the locket on and then she drops the locket, which leads her to finding a trunk beneath <laughs> a bed as she's going to pick up the locket. And then she tries to break into the trunk and uh, she can't get in. And so she abandons the trunk, leaving the locket on the floor. And all of that to me just feels like such hackneyed... Um, beats in order to get a character to try to open a trunk and to show us this locket that indicates that the the woman that she's moved in with might be a bit off her rocker but there's absolutely like no character work happening it doesn't feel like holly has any agency in that scene at all or like motivation to actually yeah yeah, that's yeah that's a better word motivation um because her motivation here is really she's being a snoop. She's being really shitty. Um, but the movie doesn't dig into that at all. There's there's no uh, it doesn't carry that idea forward of like maybe she is also a shitty roommate and they are both sort of shitty people. And what, it's just what if one we were both a single with... white female to the psycho? Yeah. So I think <laughs> that that's a that's a scene that totally had me scratching my head. And another example is when Tess kills uh, former dog-eat-dog host Brooke Burns. She doesn't actually kill her. Um, She stabs her. And then she drags her body away into a bedroom right as Holly (laughs) returns home. And she, uh, Tess is hiding in this bedroom. She talks to Holly through the doorway. And of course she has a body right off to the side of her friend that she, that she doesn't want Holly to see. Um, And then it's revealed that, um, 
uh, Brooke Burns isn't dead. She's kind of, she kind of like breathes a little bit, shifts a bit on the ground. Oh, she got stabbed and she's still alive and Holly is in the house now. This could create some tension um, because Tess thought that she had killed her and Tess tells her to be quiet. And that's it. And then I guess I guess Brooke Burns is like, okay, I'll just I'll I'll die then. So why <laughs> why decide to have Brooke Burns stay alive for an extra couple minutes? It, it just there's no semblance of of logic at all to the the filmmaking decisions happening here. The whole movie is just um, I think it's just framed. like stupid pot boiler logic, you know. But there's no that that doesn't boil any pot in that scene because it it doesn't create any tension at all. It's wasted time. I think it's trying to create tension, right? But I, trying to do something and doing something is different. Yeah, and I, so I guess that's why I say this movie is made by someone who seemingly doesn't know what makes a movie good. They've seen in other movies that the villain stabs someone thinking that they're dead and and the person is still alive. They've seen that and they think that is what creates the tension and so they can just have the Brooke Burns character still be alive for one minute and that's the tension, whereas the tension should be built all around that, and we should be seeing Brooke Burns, you know, trying to call for help, or we should see Holly come back into the room and, and see something move out of the corner of her eye, and it's her friend who is who is uh, on the edge of death. It's just, it, it makes no sense. The whole movie has this formality of exterior shot of a building, and then we go inside of the building there's no thought happening at all it's just all getting from point a to point b um and it 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 makes for one of the flattest movies uh you can imagine in terms of uh executing this this story and and i, I do think that that makes it endearing but i also do think that that makes it a very bad movie very bad <laughs> terrible yeah I'm giving I'm giving this film like on like probably like a 55 to maybe like 60% max. I have no idea how you actually feel about this movie anymore. You've said a variety of different things. That is a passing grade. You said it's a pass. That's a pass. It's a passing grade. I it said depends, it's a low it pass. It depends on the grader. I don't I don't like really disagree with anything that the Liam's is saying, but I feel like the the difference is that I was able to have like a, but no, uh, I no, guess no. a good time with Le- it. Liam but also said he had a good time. He yeah. just said that, right? That's true. He did say. So what's the difference? I don't understand what the difference is. True, Liam did say he had a good time. But, but his, his final words were so damning. Yeah. 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 Um, Corey, you give us something. Yeah, to chew I, on I'd here. like to talk about this movie from the perspective of the beginning of the movie because Liam talked about the end. Um, I think that this movie is partially a story of unfulfilled promises. The movie that is promised at the beginning is bad in an almost like joyous, fascinating kind of way. Um, It is complete nonsense, the beginning of this movie. As we've established, um, it goes from that ghastly title card 
straight into like daughter discovers deceased mother in bathtub and then it cuts to the craziest saxophone music you've ever heard and like exterior shots of of the big city and the conversation that these two roommates start having talking about their job is is truly magical why are they going to be late for this party you ask i'll tell you because we're young, beautiful women with high-paying jobs living in the greatest city in the world, people should wait for us, is a real line of dialogue that this movie has. Um, Coinciding with the shittiest music you've ever heard and the least titillating getting dressed montage you've ever seen in your life. And something I found really, really compelling about the beginning of this movie is what Liam said about the end which is that it feels like it's being made by people that have no idea what they're doing um, in a way that I find really kind of interesting because it, it's really strange feeling. Um, the performances like almost don't feel human and the way that they're speaking is just so out of left field. Like that line in particular that I just read is like a true piece of gold. But then they go to a party that's supposed to be at like a fashion place and then they show the outside of a building called Christie's, which I'm pretty sure is like an auction house in real life. And then when they get to this party, it has like a regular like grocery store cash register at this bar. And the set looks really cheap. It looks like a wedding venue they were able to rent. If you need a wedding venue two weeks from when you book the venue. Um, and these really weird conversations start happening, pitting these friends at odds with each other over who's going to get this promotion and their boss speaks like no man has ever spoken in real life the tone of his voice is just so strange and they start like chasing after this man that they don't know is holly's boyfriend he runs this restaurant and like they start getting really confrontational and they're like you're not gonna fuck david and you're certainly not gonna fuck me while i'm trying to get this um promotion while we fight over this opening at our job everything that i've just said happens in the first like five minutes it's fucking nuts and they start setting up like the weird boyfriend thing and that they won't say that i love you etc etc you've seen it um and i was initially compelled because i was like oh this is almost like the opposite of the approach that the first movie takes because you have two people at the core of the story who are already friends and sort of immediately confrontational with one another despite a long-lasting friendship. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. That's a lot to take in for 14 minutes and a guy showing absolutely no emotion at all when he starts cheating on his girlfriend. And that breakneck pace is, in my opinion, what Liam has been describing about the end of the movie, where it just sort of feels like nonsensically structured, comically bad movie. And then they introduce the actual single white female hook of the movie. And while the incompetence continues, the entertainment value takes an immediate nosedive. Because what we lose is that that friendship rivalry with their workplace is catty and like weirdly sexually fueled and like really bitchy. But also it's fun and the incompetence makes it fun. The incompetence in the approach to trying to build meaningful thriller tension around Tess as the movie continues, A, grinds the pace of the movie to a halt 
which is an interesting complaint to have given the fact that the opening is paced like nothing has ever been paced before. It's paced like they thought they only had an eight-minute runtime for the entire movie. It's it absolutely very dense, insane. that opening. Um, and then it just immediately goes nowhere really fast, and I found that sudden nosedive really, really disappointing. And then instead of this like weird, snappy-talking nonsense, it just gets like really muddled and boring because i don't find they characterize tess very well as liam says she's just sort of like allusions to weird sexual proclivities and a trunk that's really all we get until the very end and um from there it it goes from being entertainingly bad to me to just bad and bad in a particularly boring way um with flashes of what I liked about the beginning, though I do need to clarify, I liked that it was bad at the beginning. Like, there's a scene later on where before they find out who gets the VP job, the boss just puts both the PR employees in an elevator together and then tells them who got the promotion and then the elevator doors close. And that is like a fascinatingly weird thing to do. And I really wish the movie was just sort of this like workplace rivalry drama instead of whatever the fuck single white female movie it's trying to be. Because that The goes, workplace stuff was, was the least interesting part to me. I'm... I feel like I'm on another planet. Um, <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, but for me, yeah, like the reason I didn't enjoy it and the reason I was so bored and the reason I'm so unwilling to forgive its badness for raw entertainment value is how severe the drop-off is. Um, you really get the movie that the title card promises and not that the opening scenes do. Um, that is my biggest problem. That was a lot. Sorry, that was about as dense as the opening, but I really wanted to get through that. <laughs> I can't believe you thought the workplace stuff was the worst part. How was that not the more fun part? That's crazy. I don't know. That's nuts, man. <laughs> I, I thought I, both I, parts were equally as bad, if it means anything to you. Mitch, I feel like I don't even know you anymore. <laughs> I don't know. I feel, like, I feel like some of the workplace stuff was actually pretty fun, but a lot of it's also just... I mean, yeah, a lot of it's not that great. I think yeah, the, I think but, the film, but, but none of it's very good, right? Like the whole movie's bad. We've established the that. whole movie. Yes, I think it's I think it's like a bad movie, but I don't think it's like yes. I, I'm not I'm not willing to like bury this film. I think I'll think about this film for a while. That what the fuck? So when you're Why? what will you think about? When I go for long walks at night. Yeah, so what kind of things are you going to think about? Yeah. So you you both kind of uh, made the point that, or I'm not sure which of you it was, but that the characters don't like act or, or talk like people. Um, and I think that that's like absolutely true. Um, but like where I I, th I think that it kind of works in the favor of this film is that it gives the whole film this this weird stilted alien quality that that feels on on uh, certainly on a level like written, but I feel like that like level of detachment for me almost like heightens like the the drama or like the the staginess of it like a like a like somebody who 
I don't know. I feel like The Room, for example, is a bad movie of someone who's just trying his best to imitate Tennessee Williams. And this is an example of someone trying to imitate Harold Pinter. And for me, it's fascinating. Um, And I think like the alien like nature of these characters, I find like really weirdly um, compelling in a way that's not necessarily like dramatically compelling, but just in terms of like (laughs) the craft of the overall movie and how it makes me feel about their interactions. (laughs) Like I'll be thinking about it the same way you think of like weird back rooms, you know, of like endless nightmares. (laughs) But you keep saying it's good. Like, I feel like we're saying very similar things, but then your conclusion is I'm not willing to say this movie is bad. And I don't understand how that's the how how that's I'm possible. Not, I'm not willing to say that it's I'm not willing to say that it's great. But also, shouldn't there be some level of intentionality to the alienness of the writing to make that work well? Because I don't I think it's just bad. I think some of it is intentional. Like no. I think I think it isn't. No. Yes. There's yes, because no I think they're way. doing that like cold. Uh, they're doing that cold, detached, like '90s thriller, Basic Instinct, like Harold ah. Pinter thing, where where it's it's really detached. But I think it <laughs> everything else. It, it's such a fine thing to walk to to get that right. Like I think a film like The Servant gets that right. Uh, this film doesn't. But it's fascinating to see it swing and miss. I I appreciate what you're saying about the dialogue. I've definitely watched movies where i've felt that way um that the dialogue is is bad in this sort of uncanny alien way and 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 that is uh very interesting i didn't get that from this movie um i i think just because it wasn't the dialogue wasn't weird enough and i think it certainly wasn't delivered in a weird enough way i think the performances feel pretty earnest they're trying to be earnest it's just that the the talent doesn't feel like it's there and then the actual writing of the dialogue mostly feels like a bu- a lot of tell telling and not showing um and so it doesn't actually have the any sort of stylistic quality to it it just feels like uh, I can feel the seams of like where the writer was what the writer was trying to get across in that moment like it it all feels very uh, I mean you described it earlier as mechanical it totally feels that way like all the dense dialogue at the beginning just feels like we are just trying to fill in this backstory as quickly as possible in order to make us care about these characters and make the movie seem interesting but then when it actually gets down to it it turns out we don't know anything about these characters or their motivations at all which is why some of the scenes i described earlier feel so confusing um and i think the the character of tess is where they really fumble the bag because that's the character who um even if the other characters in the movie the the male boss our protagonist uh the protagonist friend even if those characters all feel shallow and sort of tertiary in their own movie if tess is filled out as a as a memorable villain i think the movie would would have some legs and 
I don't think it gets there. Um, I think her her motivations are very unclear. The the way that she got the way she is 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 very unclear. Um, and there actually is a little hint near the end. She says something, and I thought, oh, if this is where the character is coming from, and if this were emphasized throughout the movie, I think this, that that would be an interesting motivation for for a killer. But uh, and that line is when you know she's a she's a nurse, and at one point we see her uh, prematurely killing an elderly man. You know, she like puts something yeah. in his IV to to end his life. Um, and a bit later in the movie, she says it's a beautiful thing to see someone release from their pain, uh, in terms mm-hmm. of talking about killing someone. I think that's a cool motive. Um, and I, I wish we had gotten more of actually feeling that way in store in, instead of just a quick throwaway line. And I think that the, the backstories are actually kind of confusing where I think they should have taken the backstory of uh, a mom who kills herself they should have taken that from holly and put it on to tess because i think that by the end of the movie all that that serves for holly is to have a couple moments where she uh mistakes red hair dye for blood and i don't think that it actually means all that much to her character whereas i think um any more motivation that Tess could have gotten could have could have made for a uh, a more satisfying conclusion once it's all done for. I think it's I think the motivations that they tried to give Tess, or at least the how they try to explain it away, that like oh she's into like weird, crazy, kinky sex, so she who knows what else she might be into, and like the way that they kind of mount a, a case against her, if you will. I don't I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but the way that they kind of. Uh, build your your what your views are supposed to be towards her character are, are clumsy um but i don't think that i want her to i don't want to like know that much about her i think it's it's i think it's more effective that she is uh like not a really well-known quantity i think my issue is that just everyone in the movie sort of feels like an unknown quantity and so mm-hmm she doesn't feel any more interesting like for a lot of the movie i was wondering who the villain is actually going to be um yeah me too because yeah that and that could be interesting right i think i think it could have been um more interesting than it was but i think i think the fact that you don't really know who (laughs) the psycho is going to be and i think the like the capacity of of, the central character for for forgiveness i think is really interesting as well because you think that like from the gates that i think you think it's not going to be like test necessarily there's like a bit of doubt for a bit what are you Um, talking about (laughs) Well, eventually you see her kill someone, so then you There's, know. Look, but dude, I, I agree no, with Mitch no, on this point. I'm sorry. There is no doubt for a second. You're telling me that this movie introduces, like, the shy, innocent, kind girl in a movie with the subtitle, The Psycho isn't just immediately intending to subvert the expectation they've built? It was well, never also, in doubt for a second. I think Brooke second. Burns does such a good job of being dislikable, and, but and also the, to, the, that seems to be so exacting that... that Perhaps but it that might make be it, her. But doesn't that make it more obvious that they're gonna do it? They're not doing that. Like genuinely. I don't know. I, like I, I don't. I don't know. 
I, I'm, I'm in awe that there was ever a sense of doubt in anybody. I never got the impression that instilling the doubt was intentional. Um, but I mean, certainly before Tess shows up, I was like, is Brooke Burns going to be the killer? Uh, because she has slept with um, Holly's boyfriend right at the beginning, which is a page from the the original movie's book. Um, and then th- this movie does a little bit of a switch where um, our main character is looking for a place to stay yeah. as opposed to having someone come into her house. Um, and then with, with the clumsy characterization of Holly as we're watching her snoop, um, I'm thinking Holly actually seems pretty shitty. And she says yeah. to Brooke at one point that Brooke is really going to regret fucking with her. And so um, I think I, I don't think it's intentional as to the movie is trying to keep us guessing. I just think that the characterizations of all these characters are very muddied. And so when it actually turns out that Tess is is the killer, it's very disappointing because... Um, it's exactly what the movie was primarily indicating and the places where I was picking up that maybe there's someone else is going to be the killer or there's going to be like a tag team thing. I thought for a second maybe Holly and Tess were going to work together. I came to the conclusion by the time that the movie was over that that was all just my mind wandering and that the movie wasn't wasn't trying to make us think that at I, all but uh i did think it i'm surprised and like i i guess what what i'm thinking is like this is this is a sequel it's going to try or and frankly i do think it's just uh i think it actually tries too hard to give the impression that it could be one of those opening characters and that makes it in my mind like even more clear that it's going to be tess when she arrives because it is such a presentation change is like oh like the sweet nice girl who just wants to be the friend is like so obvious because they're doing the sequel and it's got to have some level of difference from the the original that came before it that that's the bar that they're going to set um like i didn't i didn't even find that my mind wandered in wondering um i would say in maybe the first 10 minutes i was a little lost but that's because it didn't seem like they had introduced anything that seemed along the lines of the first movie yet and i was a little perplexed as to how far from that original premise it was going to go but then the second test was in i was like oh okay not not very was the ultimate kind of conclusion it just seemed it seemed quick to me i just find it i find it interesting that there was the potential to think otherwise about it even for a bit but uh not for me I think I think part of it comes from how much extraneous stuff there is at the beginning mm-hmm. of the movie. Like Tess isn't introduced for uh, twenty minutes, a good long while, and then when she is introduced, we have these occasional detours where we're back in the the Brooke Burns and Holly like yeah. working. It's not structured great. Yeah, yeah. So that just made me think: uh, what if we wander off course at this point? Um, but I think that the the movie is is actually a lot less interesting than it, than it uh, appeared occasionally. 
what did you guys think of the Tess uh, performance? Because that's another thing that the the first movie has, where you know, it's uh, characterization aside, you gotta you gotta get a lot out of that villain performance to make a, a memorable movie. That's sort of the star of the show with the Jennifer Jason Lee performance. We, honestly, my take is we have Jennifer Jason Lee at home. Jennifer Jason Lee at home. It's just this. It's I, just... I think that the. It's not like a it's not a great performance, but I think that there are things that I like about it. Like I think she conveys a kind of uh, a sweetness and innocence that is that is um, multifaceted and, and like maybe at times a bit superficial. But it, I think it's a it's a fun performance in that way that I think there are uh, layers that are very clearly defined. Um, that it's like not too easy to see what she's trying to do like i don't think it's like that nuanced of a performance but uh i think it's like a like a a fun and like serviceable performance i um i thought that she she did carry the sweetness the innocence um you know that initial feeling that that you would want in this character um to to then make the the turn hit harder i understand casting in that direction i thought she did have that i thought she looked so much like uh kirsten dunst particularly from the spider-man movies and then she goes on and dyes her hair red and man she looked so much like mary jane um and so i i get that casting i think she's very charismatic in her look but i think uh she is not charismatic in her interacting abilities at all yeah um you know, the, uh, of course, the, the point, characterization, though. she doesn't have a lot to chew on, but I think even the stuff that she does have to do, I think there is just no, there's no depth to the, to the performance at all. I didn't get anything from it. I think it's deliberately not meant to be a charismatic performance, almost like a, like a bit of a pitiful performance, right? You are giving meant so to be a much that... credit to Keith Samples. He produced Election Maybe. Court. Yeah, he didn't direct it. <laughs> That's right. The genius uh, Alexander Payne of Downsizing directed it. So, of course, it's genius. This has been fascinating. This is really something. <laughs> I I don't know. Do you feel like you've been misunderstood, Mitch? I think so. I feel like I haven't been able to express myself the way in which I, I want to. Um, I don't know. Because of us or because of just like the way you're saying your thoughts? I think both. I think both. Um, I think we should give you the floor then. Well, (laughs) I don't know exactly how to say what I want to say. Um, Again, like I I still stand by my, by my low, my low pass rating, right? Like I... um, so I don't see I don't see what's so like fascinating or mind-boggling about me giving the film a fifty-five or a sixty. Like, well, well, the whole thing's been exactly. fascinating. Not ju- I'm not like just grilling you. Uh, like it's just like uh, the whole conversation has just been like a real weirdo one. Yeah. Because of this weird layer of, I guess, miscommunication or or whatever, or just not agreeing. Um, whatever it ultimately is. What a picture. What did you guys think of uh, when Tess comes back and speaks to her from beyond the grave at the end there? I think that's dumb. I think the film doesn't end right. I also think it's dumb. 
I also don't really get it. <laughs> like, I don't. I don't get what they're going for. Like if they're if they're trying to tee up another one or or what their what their aims are. But also, I don't care. Yeah, I thought it, it was just another example of seemingly someone who has seen movies but doesn't understand the intent of the things that make up movies. Because in this moment that I'm referring to where Tess speaks to Holly from Beyond the Grave, it's like Holly has a memory. Um, you know, it's it's like Tess is talking to her um, as sort of a voice inside her head, making her... Making her uh, give a little question in her head but it is not a scene that we've seen before Tess is speaking in the present tense and we see her head kind of floating um so it's 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 not Holly having a memory even though she could have easily had a memory because Tess isn't saying anything that she hadn't really expressed prior to her death so it's just a seemingly a very confused um, uh, cinematic choice, and I think that the movie is kind of laced with those. And I think that um, my biggest takeaway is that even though I had fun with the movie, I don't think it is bad in the way of... Um, astoundingly bad with such bold um misguided choices i think it's uh it's much more like it's it's definitely on the surface bad it, it kind of feels like a, a tv movie a lifetime movie sort of thing um and then it has these small subtle moments where i'm like okay that's a sign that uh, th this is really bad and i've listed some of those but it's not so bad like a, um, you know, like a what a book of Henry or <laughs> or a troll too, where it's like, oh, this is a, a really bad movie that I want to watch again because it was so much fun. It's more, uh, this is a bad movie that I managed to get enjoyment out of. You know, I watched this movie with my nephew um, since I'm visiting at home, the nephew who I've seen, you know, a lot of gnarly horror movies with and i just figured i have to watch this for the podcast i'll invite him over and so we we had a nice time you know kind of making some jokes about this movie um but when it ended you know he's a 14 year old guy who i think at the age of 14 i think uh he he seems like the type of the type of personality where like most movies are are probably good to him or are fine to him um and it ended and he was like wow that was that was a really bad pointless movie and i think that's that's kind of that's kind of how i how i felt too i mean there was a bit of a point because i spent time with my nephew and had a few laughs at the movie but if i'm looking to watch a bad movie and have fun with it there are much more um notable examples that i'm that i'm going to go to which is why this movie doesn't get a passing grade because lord knows there are bad movies that i like and i give them a passing grade, a high grade, if, if we're talking about, like, point scoring. Um, but this movie would get a below passing grade uh, because it doesn't have that that spice to it, that that drive to it. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's just a uh, run-of-the-mill bad, I think. 
Corey, I want to know how bad this movie is to you. Like, maybe in reference, in relation to, like, other movies we've done on this podcast. Like, what kind of bad is this? Uh, boring bad. Um, like, I don't know. Like, I'm hooting and hollering a lot, largely because I was surprised at the level of initial positivity I was hearing. But in in a fundamental sense, the reason why I find this movie to be bad is because I think once it gets to its core premise, um, it's just inept, and it it becomes really boring, and and just poor, just a poorly made movie. Um, aside from the like <laughs> some of the joy of the ineptitude, which we've talked about, um, I I think it's worse when a movie's boring than when it's like outrageously bad, and this just gets really trite to watch i mean it's pretty low for me i I don't know if i i can't nothing's coming to mind to compare it to immediately but not a fan um i i will never i will probably never think about it again after i edit this episode um except for the title card just being insane um that was the most impactful thing about basically the entire movie to me was that title card yeah, I'd rewatch this movie again, but only the first twenty seconds. Yeah, I, I could probably do the first like ten minutes. Yeah, I probably won't be rewatching. Oh my god, I, I think we should give Mitch the the last word here because I feel bad that Mitch, you've been misunderstood. No, it's all right. I can be misunderstood. I hope my words stand for themselves. Yeah, we'll we'll hear from the people. <laughs> they'll let us. They'll let us know what. <laughs> I think they, they think will. You're saying and... <laughs> I think that someone's going to watch this movie. You're giving us the last words of like a revolutionary that's about to be executed. <laughs> Someone, yeah. Is, yeah, I'm just having my last cigarette before the firing squad. Someone, I guess, years from now, will come across my words and they will understand. Corey and I you just aren't ready for it yet. Throw me in a grave and bury me. But our kids are going to love my it. My ideas will live on. <laughs> You can't kill an idea. <laughs> you can't kill my ideas about single white female two, the psycho. Holy shit. That's... Your single white female two monologue will be etched as an epitaph on your grave. It's going to be one of those cool digital grade stones we're going to have so it can like scroll the text. It goes on for a while. <laughs> yeah. Or it'll just be just a giant long rectangular stone <laughs> taking up a whole It'll look like the title card. It's multiple cemetery. rectangles. <laughs> um oh man, that owns that's just we're that was really something. Um Do we want a Genero? Yes, Ben. Whether or not we want to is uh is nil. We must. Maybe it'll show me another great film like this. Yeah, the Genero is paying off for you so far, Mitch. <laughs> if it can only give you passing movies from now on. William Castle's making up win. for lost time, dude. Yeah, this one was for Mitch, Will- William Castle said. Um, How many things we got in there? 309. Okay, a little higher. Okay. We got Mitch's new additions here. We say these every time. The Immortal Words. Big Money. No Skeletons. Three, two, one, spin. Oh, we're right in the middle, baby. One fifty-two. Uh oh. 
no idea what's in the 150 range. And as a reminder for listeners, one more quick one. We're going to hear 151 and 153 just to get a sense of what we could get in the future. And then we will hear our fate. So 151 just missed was, I think, one of the first ideas we ever had for this podcast. So we're still just kicking that can down the road. American Psycho 2. Yeah, I'm surprised that would be 151. Yeah, it might be on here more than once. Could be. Um, that would be very in line with this movie, to be honest. Or, I think it was so it was so much like on the on the top of our minds during the early days of this podcast that I didn't even bother writing it down. I'm pretty sure we were super close to doing it in the in the early yeah. uh, weeks when we did when we discussed things together. One fifty three was quarantine. The remake of Rack. Oh man, we've got some familiarity with that. <laughs> and I'll I'll give you a little bonus here. One fifty four, just two down from one fifty two, was Wild Things two. I would have been a little upset if we got Wild Things two to be honest. Like right after this, it it would have been incredible. But yeah, it also it also would have sucked a little bit. We might have because like same yeah. writers. Like we know exactly what we're getting. Like <laughs> we're just in. Uh, uh, what was his name? Greg. Greg Howard. We're in Greg Howard month. Oh, Glenn. No, 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 Glenn not Howard. him. He was the first writer, but he didn't do anything else. We would be mm. in uh, Andy Hurst, Ross Helford month. Gosh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry, Andy. We're, I we're thought I thought you were apologizing to us, and I was a little bit horrified. Uh, so 152. This is uh, the kind of thing that we wouldn't do without the Genero guys, so <laughs> let's, we'll just do it. It's coming to America. Oh, okay. Is that new? That's new, right? Yeah, just a couple years ago. Oh, uh, this is an issue because I've never seen Coming to America. Like the I've seen the original. Got a week if you want to catch up. Corey, this this will also give us a, an opportunity to talk about the use of two yeah. in the middle of titles. Because yeah. Corey and I were talking about this recently with the announcement of Talk to Me. The sequel to Talk so, to Me. <laughs> so we can save that conversation. Um, well, we've already seen that it's confusing because Mitch thought I was talking about something else instantly. So maybe it's not a great naming convention. Um, gosh, I, I kind of want to know right now, Has have have any of us seen the first one? Mitch said he had. That's what he meant? I wasn't sure because I think... Okay. Well, Mitch... Uh, it wouldn't be the first time I've been misunderstood this episode. Yeah. Well. <laughs> no, no, I haven't. Um, I might try to fit it in over the week. We'll see. Okay. If I can get it. I'd like to. Um, Mitch, do you have anything you'd like to plug? We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas <laughs> and the oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. And we shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. We will always protect single white female too, the psycho. <laughs> okay, cool. Thank you. Um. Wow. Thanks, man. Um. Liam, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Oh, gosh, I don't know how I could follow that up. That was one of your best, Mitch. That was great. Yeah. Um, right off the I dome, too. Writing... No one's ever said that before. <laughs> I have a film writing alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, on Twitter. Is it still called Twitter? 
Yeah, we're going to keep calling it Twitter. Twitter. On Twitter and Letterboxd, my username is Graham the Mallo. I have a Weezer podcast where I talk about uh, Weezer albums one at a time with some friends. That's That podcast is called In the Weeds with Weezer, the Little Bitches podcast. And I have a band called Guest Room Status um, that makes music. You do. That's true. Um, I make uh, a couple other podcasts. They are mk podquest uh the renaming and rebranding and relaunching of which is more imminent than it was last time but we we still aren't quite there yet but um if you want to hear us talking about brooke burns i can actually point you to exactly the episode you need if you give me a second to go to the list of episodes of the show um it is episode 14, Festival of Death, which we recorded just for the record of how long I've been sitting on this Brooke Burns info. That episode came out in January of 2021. So you're telling me you did an entire episode that featured Brooke Burns heavily and you never talked about her doggy dog. I know. Because I, I messaged Neil right after you said that. And I was like, how do we not talk about this? And then he said, I think I men- we mentioned it, but I only vaguely know it as a game show. What is it? And then I said, I don't have time to tell you this right now. But yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. So it did not Corey, come up. You, you missed that doggy dog. I didn't combo, know it was her. Combo opportunity. The same way that uh, Mitch and I missed the title card in this movie. Yeah. I, well, I, yeah. I didn't. I just I didn't know it was her. Um, just a missed off. Also, if you're curious and you want to watch the TV show and then hear us talk about that episode a second time i've got good news because we did commentaries for every episode of that show so if you want to hear us talk about it again in september of 2022 you can also do that um we are uh on all the social media and all your podcast services at mk podquest if you go to mortal combat conquest.ca you'll find all of that and strat 2 the f1 podcast that's like sort of on an unintended indefinite hiatus but we'll get there uh Twitter, Letterboxd, at a pastel heart, at Mr. Corey Price. It's all there. Thank you all once again for listening to this episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Instagram at They Made Another, which is all one word, and on Letterboxd at TMAO. You can find episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all the podcast services that are fit to print, and everything else as They Made Another One. You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and the next world leader that Mitch should quote as part of his plugs. Our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jade Dickinson. You can find on Instagram at Jade Sketches. And with all of that out of the way, we're going to have to learn about coming to America next week. And they made another one? Another <laughs> one?